One of the things that Dick and I agreed on before we ever even got married that has made a humongous difference. We agreed that we were going to attack the problem, not the person. Hey everyone, PJ and Jenny here. You're listening to the Years of Marriage Advice podcast, where we interview other married couples to share their stories and insight. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. All right, friends. So we are here in the living room of Dick and Timmy, and we are so excited to talk with them about their marriage, which has been going on for 47 years. And so they have lots of stories, lots of wisdom. And thank you so much, guys, for having us here. You're You're very welcome. So 47 years ago, you guys got married. Yes. How did you guys meet? Well, it's a long story. However, we'll try to shorten it. Timmy was living with her sister in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And her sister married my best friend. We were in school from the time of kindergarten all the way through graduation. And, you know, saw her, and she was, quote, unquote, dating one of my best friends and (laughs) and going out to a hockey game and and stuff (laughs) like that. And uh, I was attracted to her, but I never told her. Uh And she didn't really like me. She thought I was kind of a jerk. I did not think you you were a jerk. You said that. But anyways, it was... You were a punster. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) What is is a punster? A punster is someone who makes puns all the time. Uh. Uh, And I honestly didn't think he was a very serious person. Gotcha. So I didn't think he was a jerk ever. (laughs) But I was very insecure, so I always played the role of the clown to cover up my insecurity. And so I never let on. And uh, she came up to visit on uh, New Year's at her sister's house. And at midnight, she was out in the kitchen, and there was a gentleman there who was kind of harassing her so I stepped in and just took her away from him and one thing led to another and I gave her a New Year's kiss (laughs) and that was the end of it as far as I thought. Now a little more background. When I was in college I was not saved, did not have God's standards as my own. I had grown up in church Mm -hmm. I didn't realize until years later that that church was dead because they never really taught us about salvation or making a choice or anything like that. It was back in the the early 60s, you know, 66 in their area, and I had met a young man in college and uh, had fallen in love and we had talked about getting married and and, uh, all of that, and he kept badgering me, saying, well, if you loved me, you would. So... Finally, one time, I did, and I got pregnant. And um, we told our parents and so forth, and um, he was Catholic, I was Protestant. 
so we couldn't get married unless I went through six months of catechism at the church where we were going to in Youngstown, Ohio. And um, so he went home to New York one weekend to see if we could get married sooner there than we could at school. Well, he came back and told me I was trying to trap him. Into, well, first he wanted me to have an abortion. I said, no, would not do that. And so then he came back and told me I was trying to trap him into getting married and called me all kinds of filthy names and walked out of my life. And I've never seen him since. Wow. So to hide the shame of being pregnant in my hometown where my dad was you know, lay speaker in the church, and mom was active in the church and all that, and very small town. My older sister, Nancy, was pregnant, and she said, well, why don't you come up and be my housekeeper and babysitter for me because she was pregnant and still teaching school. Yeah. So that's how I ended up meeting Dick to begin with. And that night in the kitchen, Dick not only gave me a kiss, which I thought was kind of, Sort of strange, but not because it was New Year's, you know. But he said, if you ever need me, I will be here for you. And that resonated and resonated and resonated yeah. and resonated and resonated. That's in a huge my contrast mind. from where yeah. you just came from. Yeah. Wow. And the fact that even though I had a child, I mean, he was good with that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, from the time I can remember, whenever I brought Lance with me, you know, up to my sister's house, he always was so sweet to him. And, you know, just kind of loved on him. And Dick was a nurse, was a nurse at the time. And with all of Lance's issues, God knew what he was doing when he gave me a nurse for a husband, for sure. But it was that. And then on the way home, I was talking to my sister and I said, you know, I just can't seem to get that dick plighter out of my mind. And she started laughing like that. (laughs) And um, she said, yeah, I saw it too. (laughs) So we started, I mean, he lived three and a half hours from me. Yeah. And he lived up by Lake Ontario. I lived down downstate. And so I wrote, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have any of that stuff. So in order to correspond with each other, get to know each other more, we had to write letters. Oh, my goodness, letters <laughs> in ink, on paper. Yes, and I still have them. Aww. I still have the wow. letters. But um, I remember writing to him in the end of January and saying, I'm not talking about marriage or anything, but I just would like to get to know you better. And that started it and i think we only had what three dates officially officially because every time he had a weekend off or i had a weekend off it would snow in ithaca which you had to go down the ithaca hill and back up to be able to get to where he was and you couldn't you couldn't get there and so it was letters and occasionally phone call and so forth i think the first time we actually had a date was on valentine's day wasn't it and you were in the bowling league yeah, you went bowling. You didn't bowl. No, I went and watched you. I was in the league. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, long-distance phone calls at that time were very expensive. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like it is today. You know? And neither one of us were rolling in the dough, so to speak. So 
when you wanted to talk for an hour or hour and a half, you were looking at eight, nine dollars, which was a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, so we had to keep those conversations very short. And I just felt that she was the one for me. And I Even felt that I, way about him you know, too. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't either. But I didn't have a problem in the least with her having a child because I felt that I could love him just as much as if I was his natural father. That's and, amazing. Uh, so took a lot of grief from family and friends about even dating a girl that had a child out of wedlock. That was a big deal back in the 60s. You've got to understand how times have changed. So we started seeing each other on various weekends, and Easter rolled around, and I asked her to marry me. I gave her a ring on Easter Sunday. And I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got married on the 21st. Lance's first birthday was on the 23rd. And so through channels that you have to go through that I adopted him and so he's my legal son so I just made things a whole lot better um, for everyone you know and uh, as they say the rest is history <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you guys come to know God and come to believe in him and follow him I came to know God back in 1975 um, a lady, we lived in a mobile home park and there were several of us young couples in the mobile home park. And this one lady and her husband moved in and she started sharing Christ with different people, you know, different neighbors and so forth. And, um, my one neighbor who was my best friend accepted Christ. Well, she kept talking to me about, well, you need to... Timmy, you need to come to Jesus. You need to. And I said, look, I know all about him. I do. I grew up there. I can tell you everything about him. And it was like, can you just leave me alone? <laughs> I'm good. Leave me alone. Well, she knew better. She knew better. And praise God, she did. So I had told Dick, which is going to, you're going to see the reason here in a minute. But I told Dick, um, I told him one night, I said, if Sue Robinson says one more thing to me about Jesus, I'm going to tell her just to stay away. Just to stay away. The very next morning, for whatever reason, <laughs> God had me pick up a, a cassette tape, that's how long ago it was, of How to Get to Heaven by the preacher of the Berean Church. I mean, he he just presented the gospel so plainly that it finally dawned on me that Jesus died for what? I had done. Because when you've had a child out of wedlock, and there's a couple of other things that, that happened in, in that were really hard to deal with um, in our, you know, in our marriage. What do you do with all that guilt and all that shame? And if you don't have hope, what do you do? If you can't be forgiven or can't forgive yourself even, what do you do? And so when I realized that I could start my life over again, brand new, being born all over, <laughs> and all the old stuff was gone, and I could 
I could start fresh and start new. And I was forgiven and I was loved unconditionally and 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 all of that. It was just like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> and I was so happy. And the first song that they played on that cassette when the, the thing was over was the Battle Hymn of the Republic. His truth is marching on. I had been searching and searching and searching for truth ever since I was a little kid. What's true? You know, this guy has this opinion. This guy has this opinion. This teacher tells me this thing. This teacher tells me something else. What's the truth? And I finally found the truth. I tried to explain that to my husband, what had happened. And I really confused the poor guy because the night before, <laughs> this is why, you know, I had said, I don't want anything to do with it. And then the next day I was so happy. I had accepted Jesus and I wanted him to do it too. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Well, she was listening to cassette tapes constantly. God put me in a position where I had to have back surgery and it was a very difficult surgery. And after surgery, I was in worse shape because I was a victim of ghost surgery. That means that the surgeon didn't actually do the surgery. A resident surgeon did the surgery because we, at that point in time in our lives, we were on Medicaid. And he had lost his job because of back surgery. Okay, but we don't need to no. delve into yeah. that whole history. So I was confined to the house, and I would have to listen to her cassette tapes because I couldn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I started kind of liking what I was hearing, but at the same time, I wasn't ready to make any decisions. And in fact, the only major argument that Timmy and I have had in 47 years was because one day I came home and there were four or five ladies sitting in the kitchen talking about the rapture. Now, I was still unsaved at the time and I come walking in and I'm hearing them discussing the rapture and people flying in the air and whoa, I lost it. I kicked the women out of the house, and I told Timmy that that was the end. I didn't want to hear any more of this Jesus stuff in the house, and I, I was afraid. I didn't understand, and I actually thought that she had gotten into a cult wrapped up in some kind of weird thing. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. But I was really scared for her. And we had a major blowout. And she told me that I didn't have the right to tell her that I had to turn her back on Jesus. But I said, well, not in this house. You're not going to do this anymore. So he basically told me, you have to choose between this Jesus of yours and me. I didn't know what to do. Because he said, he said, I, I want all these, I want the tapes, the books, everything out of the house. Never to talk to me about it again. Well, as a newly saved person, what do you do with that? Yeah. You know? That sounds and a lot so, like the story of uh, Lee Strobel and his wife. Yes. And writing The Case for Christ. He basically mm -hmm. gave that same uh, decision 
or same ultimatum ultimatum to his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. And I was thinking, well, you're, you're temporal. Jesus is eternal. I, I love you and I love him. And how, do, how in the world do you, do you choose? And Lance had trusted Christ by this time and was being discipled by this lady's uh, kids, which was really cool. And so I was like, I, I don't, I just don't know what to do. So I walked out into the orchard behind our house and went the long way around. And I went to talk to Brenda and I said, Brenda, what, what am I supposed to do? And she said, Timmy, God knows your heart. You have to obey your husband. I said, okay. So I went home. Then I told Dick, I said, if you want me to pack this stuff up or whatever, I will do that. And I just started, you know, packing stuff up and so forth. And he walked back into the bedroom. And he came back out with tears in his eyes. And he said, I don't have the right to tell you that. Just don't talk to me about it. I said, okay. I said, is it okay if I take the kids to church? Yes. But just don't talk to me about it. So it was three and a half years later? Yeah. And during that three and a half years, did you not talk about it and not have any arguments or disagreements? We didn't have any more arguments at all about that whatsoever. And I was listening all the time. I just wasn't saying anything. And it started to really weigh on me with her leaving every Sunday morning, going to church with the kids. And at the time where they were attending, it was like a 45-minute drive to this particular group of folks. So there were an awful lot of things that weighed on me and listened, and I kept listening more and more. And... I can remember very well another back surgery, laying on the couch, listening, and Lance was critically ill at the time, and he was in the hospital, and here I am laying on the couch, couldn't do a blessed thing, and I asked asked Timmy, I said, how do you put up with this? How do you deal with it? And it kind of opened the door for her to share with me more. And I said, man, I need that. Not out loud, but in my mind and in my heart. And so that was when I actually asked the Lord to come into my heart, into my life, 1977. I'll never forget it. So he I came was out not one a, morning. I was a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> he came out once this Saturday morning. The kids and I were having were having breakfast. Actually, it was just before Lance had his uh, had his transplant. Yeah, and or had his kidneys out. Kidneys out. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he he came up to the kids and I, and he said he asked the boys, and he said, "Would, would you boys mind if I went to church with you on Sunday?" mind of course not (laughs) we'd be so excited and how old were the kids at this time lance was 
1979. He was going on nine. Yep, 1979. And And how long were you guys married at this point? Eight years. Eight years, okay. Lance was going in to have his kidneys out. I was going to give him a transplant in like six weeks after he had his his kidneys out. We were going to go do the transplant and all of that. Well, um, all the stuff that you signed for could happen from a surgery happened. And he almost died. Um, it It was awful. And I don't know what we would have done during that time it i don't know what he would have done if if he didn't know the lord by that time because that was that was one of the scariest things that that we went through and um lance was in the hospital from the day after thanksgiving until february so all of that time we're running back and forth to the hospital and making life and death type decisions that we, I don't know how we would have done that had we not had the Lord at that point to be a guide and didn't have the support system and so forth that we had um, from the people in the church and so forth at that time. And uh, being a nurse. That helped more than you know. really helped us (laughs) understand. I could explain to Timmy more in layman's terms about, you know, what was actually happening and, and what could happen and how to pray you know which way do we go here you know and you never ever pray for your child's death but you certainly pray for their recovery and he just wasn't getting better and so my christian side i kept praying and praying and praying my nursing side i wasn't so sure that prayers were going to get answered. I didn't know. And it was very difficult. And the weird thing was it was getting towards Christmas and Lance had pneumonia. And the doctors came to me one day when I was up there just before Christmas and and they said, we've done everything we can to get Lance to breathe, to breathe deeply. And we can't get him to do it. If you don't get your son to breathe deeply, he's going to die. I, I have to fi- I have to figure out a way to get my son to breathe deeply. Me? I mean, that's what? crazy. So I was crying, walked out of the room, and I just kept praying. I said, "Lord, I don't. What am I supposed to do? You're the you're the great physician. I'm not. You need to tell me all this time it's going in. My, I wasn't out loud because." They would have taken me somewhere else in the hospital, but um, <laughs> but all this time, and, and I was just pleading with God. I said, I, I just need to know. I don't know what to do. Show me what to do. Well, I ended up in the gift shop. I was like, what am I doing in here? <laughs> How did I get here? And I was in front of the bookcase, and there was a little book of children's Christmas carols. And it was just like the Lord was standing there beside me, and he said, you need to you need to buy this. And I thought, well, you know, if Lance is going to go home to be with you, what better time, you know, than, than at Christmas time? And Lance loved music, loved to sing. And so I took the book back upstairs and uh, kind of, you know, leaned on the, on the bed, and, and I said, honey, look, I got a book of Christmas carols. Do you want to sing with me? And he said, okay. See, I can't, can't breathe 
I said, okay, I said, that's fine. I said, I'll, I'll sing and, you know, we can have some Christmas carol time together. We sang a couple of Christmas carols and then I started singing Silent Night. And I hear this little voice beside me. Silent Night. Oh, holy night. And he sang the whole song with me. Wow. We got done. And I turned around and I heard crying and all those doctors and nurses were standing <laughs> were standing in the doorway and the tears were flowing and and so forth. But God used that song to make him take the deep breaths. Yeah. To get wow. better. It's amazing. Yeah. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was very cool. Yeah. Very scary, but very cool. That's cool. Thanks for sharing. So Coming back to when you decided to follow Christ, how did that impact your marriage? Did it change it in any way, and how did that turn out? Well, it changed as far as bringing us closer, no doubt, because we were able to share more things than we previously had, and a lot of it was obviously spiritual things and prayer request <laughs> even within your marriage you know yeah you, you know I ask your spouse to please pray for me for this or that or whatever the situation might be and it, it just grew us closer and you can't you cannot not get closer to one another when you have you're able to share so many of the same things we were finally on the same page yeah not in different books altogether. <laughs> yeah. It's not, one, you know, our situation wasn't one of those, like you hear so many stories about how the marriages were saved, you know, and the husband quit drinking or the wife quit running around or all these different things. That wasn't in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And fighting wasn't in our, like I told you, the honest truth, one argument in 47 years of marriage. We didn't have time to fight. We had too many other things to worry about, you know? And so being so involved with Lance's care, we didn't have time to worry about our piddly little problems, except for my multiple surgeries. However, at the same time, he still was the most important one that needed our attention and a lot of stress in our marriage at that time, but it wasn't the stress of the marriage. It was stress of things going on in the marriage. And during that time, financially, we were destroyed at that one point in time. And having to depend on so many other folks to give us a helping hand. Um, my pride got in the way quite a few times because I didn't want to ask for help, but we didn't have a choice. And God knew that I wouldn't ask for help, so he just would provide it for us. We didn't have to ask. And the pastor's wife took me aside when all this was going on, and, and uh, she said, Timmy, we need to go for a walk. And I said, oh, yeah, that would be really great. So she and I went for a walk, and she said, why would you ask the church for help? And I said, well, Tammy, everybody's got young kids. I said, we're all about the same age and young families. And I said, they've got enough 
that they're dealing with. You know, that, how can I ask? How can I ask them for help? She, little sweet thing, kind of like you, Jen. You know, wouldn't hurt a flea if it bit her. She whirled on me like the fire breathing dragon. And she said, <laughs> "How dare you? What? What? How dare you?" She said, Timmy, that's the most selfish thing I ever heard you say. I wasn't getting it. <laughs> I was not getting it. I said, Tammy, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, almost better than anybody else in this church, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because you give even if you don't have it, you still give it. Why are you withholding the blessing? from your brothers and sisters in this church. She said, my husband's been trying to teach this congregation for years how to care for each other. And he's using your family to do it. Don't you dare stand in his way. <laughs> I have never failed to ask for help. If I need help, I will ask. I don't have a problem with that at all. When God put us together, he forgot about leaving out the ego part. You should have. <laughs> and our pride gets in the way. Uh, pride is a woman and man problem, but men are a little more difficult when it comes to boldness and sharing Jesus. But it was good. It was we. Lance reached out to so many people, and I think that's why God chose Lance despite all of the terrible stuff that he had to go through he witnessed he was such a he was such a cute little dude <laughs> <laughs> very friendly he just won people's hearts you know and it was really funny he reached out to hundreds throughout his lifetime and uh, as a child and as an adult, he, he continues to this day sharing Christ. But God knew that he could deal with it. And he knew that he couldn't do it with every person. So he chose Lance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So from your experience um, going through all these challenges and difficulties, let's say someone's listening right now who is in the middle of it either within their own marriage or with one of their children, what would you say to them to encourage them or, or point them in the right direction? One of the things that Dick and I agreed on before we ever even got married that has made a humongous difference in our marriage. His parents fought, my parents fought. We said, we don't want to live like that, you know. So it was God, I know now, we didn't know it then, but we agreed that we were going to attack the problem, not the person. And 99% of the time, we're good with that. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just an example. This is very fresh in, in our minds. Um, Dick said, I think tonight we need to do a, a little laundry. And I said, yeah, we are. No, this was late, like 930 and so we got the laundry and stuff together, put it in the wash, and, and about 10.30, quarter to 11, I went to bed. Right about midnight, he opens up the door, and he said, we have a problem. You left your lipstick in a pocket, and now all the clothes are covered with it. And I thought, <laughs> I oh, something of that sort. I, I was half asleep. No, 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 it wasn't. It was 
more fear. What are we going to do? You know, because this, and so he didn't, he didn't come at me like, how can you be so dumb to leave your lipstick in there? And now our clothes are all messed up. And right? and you could hear where someone else would attack it that way. But he didn't. He didn't. And I got up and we worked at spraying mean green on lipstick. Guys, it works, okay, for most stuff. <laughs> and, um, and he stayed up until almost 3 o'clock. Washing the clothes again, washing, putting them through again, putting them in the dryer so that I could get some sleep and, and go to work the next day. And so it's that attacking the problem, not the person, has saved a tremendous amount of stress in our lives. And that's something I would love to pass on to every single couple listening. Take that vow. And also understand, because we've been through, he's looking at his 40th, 30th 30th orthopedic surgery. Lance has had almost over 100 surgeries, almost died six times. We've been through bankruptcy. We've been through, you name it, um, you know, food stamps, social social services for about a year while people were getting better and before he could get a job and, and, and all of those things. But God provided through it all. He provided through it all. And if we hadn't had the Lord to to lead us through those horrible times, I mean, we saw so many parents um, with the young kids that were in dialysis. There were four kids. My husband and I were the only two, weren't we, that were still married. The other ones, either the wife or the or the husband walked out saying, well, this is too much. I just can't deal with this. And they walked out leaving the other spouse to, to take care of everything. You can't believe how many broken marriages we saw during all of the years that Lance was in the hospital almost every three months or so when he was a child. And you never, almost without exception, it was the father that, up and left. You can't run from these problems in your marriage. You can try to run, but you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be successful in putting those problems out of your mind. I can tell you that right now, even when I haven't tried to, you you just can't. And the only thing I can add would be I would pray, number one, that you know the Lord. Number two, that you trust the Lord to get you through these rough times. I grew up with an alcoholic father. Before I met Timmy, I was kind of heading down that same road. I was a very heavy drinker. And I quit drinking in 1972. I haven't had a drink since. It can be done. You can do it. But it takes two to work out these problems. And to deal, you need a prayer partner. You need that extra person to give you strength. You can turn to the Lord and you should turn to the Lord. But you know, and I mean this in the hopefully the right way. I can't reach out and give God a hug. Sometimes you need God with skin on. (laughs) You need God with skin on. 
we took our vows seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, when you that's say, what this sounds like when, when in you sickness say and in, health, in sickness and, and in health for better for better or worse, and richer and poorer. richer and poorer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, until death do us part. We took that very seriously, mm-hmm. and the thought of divorce never even was in there was never a thought and knowing that he lived out that if you need me i'm here he, he's lived it out even to this day even with all the other stuff that he's had to go through he's always been there for me yeah you know, mm-hmm. sitting up until three o'clock in the morning waiting for the clothes to dry to save the Lipstick <laughs> That's love. That's love right there. <laughs> that is love. Uh, I mean, we could tell you so many stories mm. and so many woes that I don't think people really are interested in all our problems. However, 47 years of marriage, we're still here. And I feel like people look at a marriage that's almost at 50 years and they think, how is that even possible? But you just live out your vows and you take them seriously. They're vows, you know, we should. So I think that right there is a is a big key to having a long-lasting marriage is you you mean it. And yeah, I don't say it if you're not going to do it. Just don't say it. I can't explain it to you, but the time, when you say 47 years to somebody <laughs> else, you say, whoa, that's a long time. It's longer than I am old. I can't tell you where 47 years have gone. You know, it just doesn't seem possible. I've got boys that are in their mid-40s. What? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Ten grandchildren. The oldest one is 18. And what? A, and a whole lot less hair than I used to have. <laughs> but, you know, I, it just... You can't do it. I don't think you can do it without the Lord. I know there are people who say they've been able to, but I don't want to be in their shoes mm-hmm. when the end comes. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things is too is that I think when young people get married, now we're going to get down a dirty here for a second, okay? So if you want to edit this out, <laughs> <laughs> feel free. Um, if you're getting married purely for the reason that your husband or wife is very attractive and and sex is the only thing you're thinking about, you're getting mar- married for the really wrong reason. Wrong reason. With Dick's surgeries and Lance's surgeries, and, and I, if we had gotten married for sex, we probably would have split up after the first, well, you had your first back surgery right after we got married. Too much, not too much no. longer after we got married and lost your job. It was four years. Yeah, because seemed, of it. But Lance in between time was sick yeah. all the time. Yeah, and so, you know, if, if that's why we got married, we would have split up a long time ago. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just not, God created that as a wonderful gift for two people coming together. Mm-hmm. But it's not the reason the only reason that you get married. Mm-hmm. But if it can't, be there. Your marriage doesn't fall apart. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll liken it to, I heard somebody say one time to, they were talking about tattoos. And he said, guys, watch out when you get that hula girl 
on your, you know, tattooed to your to your chest or your or your bicep. When you get to be eighty, she's not going to look like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's true. You get married, you you know you're you're you you just are enthralled with each other, and you you're you're pleased with how each other looks. Age does weird stuff to you guys, you know. <laughs> you know, stuff sags and and you get wrinkles and you know your your stuff changes, your hair changes color, <laughs> all that. So if you're getting married for that, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going you you're not getting married for the right reason. Right. Jesus said the two shall become one flesh. That doesn't mean just in the in the sexual act dick and i finish each other's sentences all the time when we were working at liberty i would go and get showered and go in the bedroom and get dressed and come out and he would be coming out of the shower he'd get dressed and wouldn't see me and we'd go to go out the door to get dressed or to go to work and we were dressed in the alike I said, like, how does that happen <laughs> but there's so many other little things like that that I know what he likes, and, and I know that his love language is, is gifts, and he knows my love language is, is acts of service. So staying up until 3 o'clock in the morning while I was sleeping, helping with the laundry, showed me, I really love you, honey, because I'm willing to do this act of service for you. And so, you know, there, there's just so much to it. I think more than you ever realize when you first get married and and it just it just grows and grows it's grows. it's like you plant this little acorn the day you get married and by the time you've lived 47 years you got an oak tree with a lot of acorns falling off of it to feed everybody else <laughs> yeah. and it's really cool to hear how you see and recognize and understand the love languages being acted out because I know for Jenny and I, you know, if I was up at 3 a.m. doing laundry, I know that that would not speak the same <laughs> amount of love to her right. as, a, you know, her specific love language or, or something like that. So, so what is your love language? Mine is words of affirmation. Yep. And hers Mine is, is quality time. Quality time. Ah. So. So I know that if I'm up at 3 a.m., I, would want I better you be, to with just be with her. Never mind, I'm glad you just Or she would be with you to be together so that you could do it together. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. understand. I understand. There's so much, so much involved. I think one of the things that, that um, is a question we get a lot is what do you think is the most important part of, of marriage, of mm -hmm. being married? And I told Dick tonight, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, I said, I think the most important part for me is having a best friend that you can talk about anything with without fear of condemnation and just being able to, to talk things over and, and discuss things with and share fears with, share joys with, share those things with yeah and, and honesty mm. is so important even from major things to simple things maybe your wife is going to cook you what she considers a very special meal 
and she prepares it and you sit down and you say well what is this <laughs> something new <laughs> yeah okay so you eat your meal now my favorite little tactic with timmy is you know honey this meal wasn't too bad but you really don't have to make it for me again <laughs> <laughs> That's my way of saying <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not, not that Jenny makes bad food, but if that were to ever come up, I, yeah. I need to remember that line. <laughs> you really don't have to make this for me again, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's, there's been a few of those. Not yeah, we've too had many. a few losers, not too but many, not too but... many. No. You say, this may not be my first preference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you can even blow that, you know? If being honest is one thing, but being painfully honest or rudely, <laughs> rudely honest, right, right. gently, you know, honest. you say, "This is junk. What are you feeding me?" <laughs> you know, I've wanted to say that a couple of times, but I never have. Thank you. you know, I appreciate I, that. I really, you would have worn it, probably. I, yeah, <laughs> but no, we've never reached that point. No. Not really. Mm-mm. But uh, little things become big things if you allow them yeah so kind of wrapping up here what would you say is the best piece of marriage advice that you've ever received one of the older ladies at our church i think gave me the best marriage advice and she was a sweet lady and her husband had had a real bad heart attack they were older they're probably in their 60s at that time and and uh, she was telling me, she said, yeah, she said, you know, Al wants to, wants to go to Florida, drive down to Florida, and he's always driving. And I said, well, that's dangerous, isn't it? Because of his heart, can't you drive instead? And she said, Timmy, I learned something years ago. And she, sometimes she'd speak in the King James, which is really cool. <laughs> but she said, I learned years ago that I daren't step out from underneath the umbrella of my husband's authority. Because when I did, I would get rained on. It taught me to pray for the umbrella. That put the whole submission thing that most women balk at. Obey my husband? What? (laughs) Submit to him? What? Yeah, but I mean, she, she said... Timmy, anything with two heads is a monster. There's got to be that. There's got to be that level of, of accountability, just like a boss with you know his their workers. If if the company fails, who's going to get yelled at? The boss. Who's going to get fired? The boss. So she said, you have to look at that with your in your marriage too. Your husband has to will have to make an account to God for every decision that's made in that marriage. So when there's a decision to be made, I will give Dick my input, but the ultimate decision's his. And so for you guys, what would you consider to be the best piece of marriage advice that you would give to others? Mine would be never give up. Don't quit, don't quit. One way or the other, make it work. Mm-hmm. You made that vow before God, and he's going to hold you to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So don't don't ever even 
consider the S word or the D word it's not to be spoken. I think one advice that I wish I had gotten sooner would have been how to deal with so many negative things going on in your life at the same time and not blaming God for it. You know, we had instances where we lost everything. We had to file bankruptcy. We had major sickness going on, you know, and there was so many things going on at one time. And how do you not get mad at God? How do you not blame God, you know? And I kind of had to put that together on my own. Um, yeah. So last question, what are some resources that have helped you or that you would recommend others to dig into to help their marriage? Some of them that have really helped me is um, Leslie Perot wrote a book called Freedom Through Submission. That's an excellent book, and it should be read by men and women mm -hmm. because it's not just a girl book at yeah. all. Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, it was an amazing book. It was written after we were married, however. <laughs> but, um, you know, some of the, the stuff that, that was written in there was excellent. No, we used to go to, um, I mean, you can't just hand it to somebody and say, here, do this or read this. Um, you know, we went to couples retreats. We went to mm -hmm. conferences, you know, all of those types of things. If you go with the right spirit. So, man, my wife's dragging me to this stupid couples retreat, and I don't want to go to it. And then, but everybody in the church knows that we're going, so I can't get out of it, you know. <laughs> If you go with that attitude, you might as well stay home. But we used to have great times together, not only as a whole group of couples, but then we always had our quiet time and our time to ourselves as a couple that something would come up that we weren't really aware of that we were dealing with. And somebody else had brought it out as part of the teaching and we looked at each other and saying, you know, mm -hmm. got to work on that. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, books, I've read a ton of books, but you know, I can't tell you who the author was. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've read you know, a lot of <laughs> devotional books and you know, that type of thing. That's encouraging to hear that even though, you know, you may not recall the author, it's encouraging to hear that you've taken the time to invest in your marriage, to invest in your life through reading those books. Mm -hmm. And devotionals, I mean couples devotionals. Mm -hmm. Well, we haven't done that as well as we should. I admit that, especially the way our life has been the last nine or ten years with me not working and with mom working and uh, schedule differences because I don't want to get up at six o'clock in the morning and sit down in my chair because I got nothing to do. You know, when she's gone, she's got to go to work. And so we haven't done real well. I haven't done real well with that. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Mom has. The two books, I think, that have, that have impacted me more than anything else are The Freedom Through Submission and The Love Languages. Mm -hmm. Because I finally understood that, you know, uh, Dick's is, is gifts, all right? So if I'm not if I'm not doing little special things and gifting him, he doesn't feel that he's loved. 
you know, but I'm, I'm doing all these acts of service for him saying, well, don't you see how much I love you? And it's like, no, <laughs> no, you're not. You're speaking Russian. I'm speaking Chinese, honey. Yeah. You know, and so learning, learning that has made a tremendous difference, I think, in, in our lives because mm-hmm. we understand what the other needs. Right. I would caution young couples and individuals, for that matter, to really be careful what you read. Do a little research about the author, about who you've decided you want to read this guy's book. And you might find out that he's way out in left field. You know, you've really got to pick and choose your literature even devotionals. Mm-hmm. Some of the devotionals, I picked them up and put them right back down. You know, I just read a couple of them. I said, "Whoa, well, nope, I don't buy what he's saying." Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's a personal thing. That's not a across the board. Everybody not going to like that writer. That's not what I mean. But it's may not be what you're looking for. You know, so be careful. Pick and choose wisely, but don't ignore it. It's so important. But I wish Mom and I had done better in, in spending devotional time as a couple. She might be surprised that I'm saying that, but <laughs> um, I failed her on that. But I would encourage all young couples, even before you're married, and especially before you're married, because you're going to learn things about one another. But spend time together, you know, in, in quiet time. And uh, there's a lot of good literature out there for unmarried young couples getting that are going to be married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that Jenny and I did that was really uh, important to us. And made a huge impact on our marriage we've only been married for a year and a half now and before we were married we uh read through several different books we came together every week to talk about what we've read and what we've learned yeah whether you're really investing in our marriage before it started or a mentor you know someone else doing pre-marriage counseling Mm -hmm. for you i think one of the best things that any couple can do aside from reading you know, things like the books that we were talking about is read the word together. Read the word together. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dick and Timmy, thank you so much for allowing us to come over and hang out in your living room and just hear some amazing stories and insight into 47 year marriage. (laughs) Well, thank you kids for... Did we talk too much? No, <laughs> not at all. We could we could talk and listen well, for we hours. Well, we could too. I'll tell There's you, so I much mean, to to gain from this. We and... only touched on the surface for the most part. Yeah. No, oh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. We very can do this welcome. again if you want to. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah that sounds cool. good. Well, thank you again. Hey, friends! Thanks again for joining us. We hope you've been encouraged and challenged by Dick and Timmy's example of what it means to truly live out your vows through sickness and in health and any other challenge that may come. If you'd like to hear more marriage advice, check out yearsofmarriageadvice.com and we'll see you next time.